The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. And we're back here and analyze this. And we are waiting for the VLSRO team. They're going to be joining us in another uh, nine to ten minutes. And they're going to be on the candidate speak in our number two. And uh, so I'm going to be keeping keeping my back, watching my back while I talk with the, the high profile candidates. Of course, that's the big race uh, this year. Every four years, summer, we got um, gubernatorial election cycle. Um, let me ask you this question. You grew up in St. Thomas or St. Croix? Uh, St. Croix. Okay. Where you went to school? I went to St. Mary's and then I went Good Shepherd, St. Mary's, St. Joseph, and oh. then I begged to go to Central High. So I'm a, I'm a Carib. You graduated from Central High? Yeah. What year? But, uh, 1991. 1991. Okay. Mm-hmm. So wait, uh, wait. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think... Santa Gittens, he graduated in, in 90 or somewhere around that. Uh, he, he goes, uh, Hugo year? Hugo year was 89, 90. Then I, then I give you the wrong, then I give you the wrong. In 2001? Don't no, man, then I, no, then I graduate. Listen, Ayo, then I make myself older. Yeah, man. In 1989, I was 12. Yeah, man. So that means I graduated in 1996, so 97. Somewhere around them, and 91. I want, I said to myself, some of you ain't that old. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But I get it. I get it. You're wrong. Wow. Really wrong. Yo, yo, your classmates really should drag you over the coals for that one. You know what I'm saying? But uh, so what was school like then? I think it was the best it could have ever been. I mean, school, I felt like I got a quality education in mm-hmm. all the schools that I went to. Um, life was different. It only had one high school. We didn't have, we, you know, like, so. I, our, think, I think right there was when we had the second high school. It didn't, so I graduated like a year or two before Complex actually opened. Complex okay. was being built. Okay. But everybody was still in central Mm -hmm. and so for my last years it was like this little macrocosm of the whole entire island in this one school so you knew everybody Mm -hmm. um but it really was you know i remember actually i remember being taught by maurice james um a street law class which was a subset of my vi history class that was taught by regina williams mm-hmm. and that's kind of like one of the two the two places where tony richards was my teacher economics mm-hmm. um where i really began to to find myself and my voice and and like appreciate the way my brain to walk and it was like those old school teachers who kind of like pull me up because I didn't even realize it, right? No, 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 man. Regina Williams dragged me by my ear and said, no, young lady, you're too smart to be in the courtyard. Let's go. Like that that personal connection was present in our school system. Well, you know, the, the reason why I asked that question is because we are in a, a, a completely different world from where I was when we graduated in 82. You know, cell phones did not exist. They weren't even on the radar. Right, um, you know, so we did a lot of things, as you would say, manually. Right nowadays, because of the cell phone, um, you know, you could do your math, you could take pictures. Get back then, taking pictures was a camera thing. You know what I mean? Now it's cell, cell phone. You do everything on cell phone. Exactly. You do your research, internet. Internet didn't exist in, until ninety four. Encyclopedias. 
Yeah. The library. When yeah. you had to when you had to do research, you had remember when the Encyclopedia Britannica man used to walk yeah, to yeah, house yes, every house yes, had yes, a stack and then it had all the Shakespeare books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So while while we have an obligation um to not make it right or, or no, I wanna make sure I, I word this correctly. We have an obligation so that our children have it better than we did. We don't necessarily want to make it easier for them because that's what to create the problem. But I think there's an inherent value question there, right? Mm -hmm. Because people sometimes think better means newer, better means faster, better means different, right? And we have to ask ourselves as a community, what is it we value? Because what is important that keeps the fiber Right. While we are to use to use Senator, De, you know, DeGraff's statement, while we are thinking global and acting local. Right. We want a global perspective. We And we have been consistently people from the Caribbean able to enter a global market and make change. Right. So what is it we need to keep of ourselves and like sort of interpersonal connection? I think we think faster, better, shiny, prettier means that it's going to improve something and we need to figure out what it is we need to keep in our education system that created the Neville Jameses and you know um I gonna use you as the anchor I want to call too much names and then it sounds like I endorsing any particular people but we mm. had a cadre and caliber of people who really had great um have great intelligence and, and had made contributions. How did we make those people? Why are we changing the recipe? Well I, I don't know, you know. I, so sometimes people don't realize that you don't need to necessarily change something. You might need to tweak. You check what I said? So yeah. we could dig deeper. We could become more efficient. You know, we could do those things. But I think that's a values question, Neville. Mm -hmm. What it is we as Virgin Islanders value and identify with and what it is above all things we are keeping about ourselves and then how do we build on that? This is what I feel we'd do. We'd go someplace and we'd see something that looked good to serve those people and I'd be like, oh, look how well they're doing. Let's do that. Yes. But that's for those people and their culture and it does work. One size don't fit all. Exactly. And yeah. you're not vetting. When I go to, when I go to Denver, Things that work in Denver work in Denver's climate mm -hmm. for Denver's farmers mm -hmm. for Denver's needs. I could take something from their model, well, but well, I can't well, just. Well, well, one, thing, one thing in Denver that everybody believes could work everywhere else. That's, <laughs> that's a weed. You know so, but even that, I have questions about. Right, yeah. even that I have questions about in terms of scale and size and the impact to the land and you know, water. You know, we need to have that discussion, someone. Seriously, Mia, yeah, you need to have that discussion. Um, about the legalizing of marijuana. I, I ain't got time for the for the medicinal and the recreational stuff. I gonna just, I want it to be just a discussion. So we're gonna set up what day that gonna be when we're gonna talk about the, the the full legalization of marijuana from the perspective of number one, um is it in our best interest, right? Number two, can we ignore the obvious because it's been here forever? You know what I'm saying? And things like that. And then three, um, how do we protect the local, the potential local investors where that is concerned? Because let's face it, you know, the the, 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 the vultures were out there and they've been out there waiting, you know, 
um, for us to go full so that they could come in and they could swoop in. That's the term you swoop in and do their thing. So that, that's a discussion that we need to determine how, but, how we going to sit down and, but and have it. But it goes back to the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where we, for me, we have, a, we have a desire or a belief that what is outside is better than us. We're not building our economy from the bottom up. We believe that attracting, which, which is part of the way it's structured, attracting outsiders to come here to create something for us instead of building from our small businesses and existing in this case, um, <laughs> you know, marijuana industry, because mm-hmm. one does exist and ramping up. We, we want to do something that seems like it will extract and, and, our legislation that we propose and our policy should not make it harder for our sons and daughters to be a part of this industry. And then we have to talk about the law of diminishing return. Mm-hmm. How much is too much before we're oversaturated and it means nothing. And then we drive the whole industry, you know, we tank it, which then creates more crime. Because this market that used to be mine. That, that, that's the reason why. When it was before us, when I was on my legislature, I had my I had my reservations about it. That that crime dynamic to me, you know, some people got offended, but you know, I, I was just being real. You know, I didn't I don't know if we had put in place, you know, the the um the requisite um you know mechanisms um, for that to, to address that 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 negative uh, potential. But that's for a topic we're gonna discuss after the election cycle. Okay, so we're gonna set that up for me or you. Kaiko, don't see you again, Alex. You ready, you're ready to have that discussion. What? So, 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 so we're good uh, with that one. So, check this out. Uh, it's the candidate speak. Um, we're getting ready to, to get to 910. We reached that yet. And uh, we're gonna have um, the, the VLS Saro team joining us. Uh, the Saro part of the team is actually here uh, in the studio uh, as well. Uh, so, we're looking forward to having that discussion. Some of you gonna join me. In the back. And, and this backside here, because I believe our candidate, um, gubernatorial candidate VLA, is going to be joining us in the studio here as well. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we're looking forward to having uh, this discussion. Now, like I said earlier, uh, yesterday, right? I'm going to break down the numbers, right? How we Right? Turnout in gubernatorial years are um, exponentially greater than in non-gubernatorial years. We're at uh, 2018, 26,346 participants in the election cycle. And then 2020, that dropped off to 18,130 territory-wide. So that lets you know um, that's 68%, 68%, 68 68.8% compared to those who participated in 2018. So that's the reason why um, we look at those numbers to make sure, yeah, man, yeah, man, the gubernatorial candidate is here. So uh, we set up that there for them. So I'm going to watch my back while I talk to the big wigs. Um, put on the headphone. Uh, make sure I got my, the clock. Make sure the clock, the clock is right. Okay, so I know where we at. The timer's on. And... Uh, the number four team in the gubernatorial race is now uh, on the clock uh, here on the Candidate Speak. The Kurt VLA Janelle Saro team has joined us here in the studio this morning. Welcome to the Candidate Speak. Um, candidate, Senator Kurt VLA, gubernatorial candidate, Senator Kurt VLA, and 
Lieutenant Governor Candidate Senator Janelle Saro. Welcome to the Candidate Speak. Good morning, good morning, um, former Senator James. Level. <laughs> and good morning to the people of the territory and the Virgin Islands and those listening and viewing. Good morning. Glad to have you here, Senator. Good morning, morning, Senator. Good to see you and engage in conversation with you again. Glad to have you uh, here in the studio. Um, for those who um, may be listening for the first time or tune in because the antenna uh, at, a, at a pitch level, a few pitch level now, tell the people who you are. Give us a little bit about your background. I'll start with you, Senator VLA, and then Senator Saro. Okay, thank you so much, and I will, I will try to be brief. I'm, I'm Claude Vele. I graduated from the University of the Virgin Islands, a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics, a Master's in Administration and Supervision. I uh, worked as a public school in the public school system for some 29 years, first as a teacher, then assistant principal, then was a principal of Complex and Arthur Richards, and then moved into the field of politics, where I won uh, and got a seat in the 31st, 32nd, 33rd, and 34th legislature. Uh, served as a chair of finance for the last six years and had the pleasure of absorbing with you. That's what I'm talking about. So, Senator Viale uh, is in the house. St. Peter's School? St. Peter's. <laughs> Paul Vilasen. Paul Vilasen. And you graduated from? St. Croix Central High School. At uh, the time, the only, yeah. only, only high school. Only high school in the island. St. Croix. St. Peter's were under the uh, leadership of Ruth Beagle's yeah. uh, a stalwart in education. Without, without a doubt. Um, and Lieutenant Governor, candidate, Senator Janelle Saro. Um, tell the public about yourself, if you will. Thank you. I'm a 2003 graduate of Shadamaya High School. I went on, on to, to college, actually, on a full Division One scholarship, volleyball. And I received a degree, a double major in political science with a concentration in um, global governance, Middle Eastern politics, and interdisciplinary studies of social science and Amanian history. I then Where? received Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. Then I went on to Gonzaga. Um, I received a Master's of Arts in Organizational Leadership with a focus on political institutions. A certificate in servant leadership, and I am in my third year of being a full-time doctoral student writing about the impacts of colonialism and the power structures that keep us in a colonial state. I returned home. I taught U.S. history and comparative politics at Shadamalia High School at the University of the Virgin Islands at night. I went on to be the special, the coordinator of sports for Sports Park and Recreation, and then special assistant to the Lieutenant Governor Osbert Potter. And then I was elected to the 32nd, 33rd, and now 34th legislatures. And I also had the pleasure of serving in my first term with you, and you are surely missed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for the compliment. And uh, we got that foundation uh, established. So here's the question right off the bat. Um, and I'm going to start with you, um, gubernatorial candidate um, VLA, and then I'm going to try to, just out of respect, right? Start one question with you, one question with her, um, and all that stuff. Why are you running for governor in 2022? It's an easy answer. As chair of the finance committee, we have like a front row seat as to everything that is taking place in, in government. And we have been uh, really frustrated and, and really disappointed about those key quality of life areas that are not uh, being addressed by this administration. And we look at our healthcare system. Uh, the lack of access of individuals to, to get good health care and the number of, of individuals that have to fly off on a regular basis because of the closure of the cardiac center, uh, the hospital in, in disrepair and not being able to open um, JFL Notch. We look at the closure of Charlotte Kilman Center, uh, Myra Keaton uh, being a modular structure. 
I'm running because I'm not pleased with the state of education, uh, virtual learning for two years, a tremendous learning loss. Um, no plan whatsoever as to how they're going to address that. I'm running because of the failure to fully implement the Envision program. Hundreds of homes are still with, with blue tops, 16 homes completed in the last five years. And I could go on and on. You know, but we're running because we really think that we can um, be able to resolve a lot of those outstanding issues or display more of a sense of urgency and a plan as to how we can address those issues and move the Virgin Islands forward in reference to the quality of life issues. And we're not talking about a tax check or a retroactive or April. We're talking about the quality of life issues that face Virgin Islanders on a daily basis. Lieutenant Governor Candidate uh, Saro, looking at the, the political landscape, um, you finished second, almost a virtual dead heat in the last senatorial election. Senator Viale, I believe you, you finished first for the third time in the last four uh, elections. So the question to Senator Saro is, what is it a, like where you, you're pretty much giving up a guaranteed Senate seat to commit to run for higher office? Um, uh, I, I know, I don't, the reason why I ask the question that way is because I really don't want to ask you the exact same question I asked Senator Viale and get a redundant answer. <laughs> so, so, so what is that like um, from that pers particular perspective? Is there a level of, you believe you're making a sacrifice in running for Lieutenant Governor? Um, I am making a sacrifice, but that's what leaders do. Leaders, leaders make sacrifice. They care more than others think is wise and they just, they take risk. Um, on behalf of the people, when you look at any leader across the world, that's what they do. They they become typically martyrs for their country. And I know that now is the time for us to step up and really make a difference because in the history of the territory, we've never seen so many federal dollars, um, the influx of federal dollars that we have seen now. And I definitely know that I can make a difference in inspiring another generation, in changing the trajectory of our territory, um, for generations to come. And I believe in the possibilities of home. I believe in the people. I believe in what the force that we can be within the region and actually um, nationally as well. So I definitely know it's a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that's worth it. And, and, uh, and for those who are listening, because I know the, the nitpickers are out there, the same question is going to be asked to Senator, uh, Lieutenant Governor Roach when he comes in because he himself, and I think it's actually, I don't know if it's coincidental, but he was, he had served three terms, like Senator Saru has served three terms when he chose to run for lieutenant governor. And I served a short amount of time. I came in, <laughs> I came in um, about roughly seven months after the fact. Correct, correct, correct. That's, that's, that's six months, actually, because it's July 2017. July 14th. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the, the key issues facing the electorate uh, with the VLA Saru team here on the Candidate Speak. We'll be back right after this. Banking for your business. At Bank of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go, and our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. Bank of St. Croix has two locations one in Gallows Bay at 340 773 8500, and one in Peter's Rest at 340 713 8500. BankofStCroix.com. 
Good morning, neighbor. I see you got your bumper stickers and yard sign up, Paulie. Yes, I'm so ready for this election season. Me too. Just waiting for the info on the polling places and then ballots. What polling places? You mean voting centers? The election system is using voting centers this year, where you can go anywhere across the island, walk in, fill out a ballot. Just bring your ID. Really? Because my daughter lives in Tutu, but walk all the way by the airport and would try to run back home before the sun goes down to vote. Nope. You're no longer stuck to just your neighborhood on election day. Voting centers mean you can vote anywhere in your district. And the next time, try the early voting option too. Skip the line all to get an election day. Girl, you have all the good tips this year, man. So, who's going to win? Ha! Read my yard sign. Then pick any voting center. Just remember, voting is not just your right. It's, it's the, the right, right thing, thing to do. A message from the election system of the Virgin Islands. Music can be an incredibly personal experience. A song can inspire you, it can comfort you, it can make you feel understood, but it can even take you back to a specific moment in your life. And it all begins with the artist. Join me, Raina Duras, as I get personal through in-depth interviews with your favorite musicians and find out where those songs come from on World Cafe. Weekdays at 10 p.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1. We're back here on the candidate speak uh, in analyze this. And we got the uh, VLS our team number four on the ballot territory wide um, for the office of governor, lieutenant governor, effective January 2023. Let me ask this question. I'll start with the lady first. What's the difference between seeking a one of seven versus a one of one uh, seat? When I get all. <laughs> I, I, I know that, but does it force you does it force you to look at this definite um differently from the standpoint that by any means necessary because there's only one winner? Yeah, by but yes. So you do have to look at it by any means necessary, but not selling out your soul and not engaging in rogue politics um for a seat. But yes, definitely it, it in the Senate, you could you could skate by because it's, it's the top seven. So as long as you do something to get in between the seven, you're fine. But with the highest seat, you're forced to really put your best foot forward every single day. You're forced to um to be very calculated, very intentional, um to be very tempered, um as to you know not to sway or lose any um votes and to actually gain votes in the process. So you definitely have to to you know be very very intentional. And come with your A game every day. That's that's the major difference. So, so Viola, what, what's it like campaigning territory wide as opposed to district? It's it, it's a challenge. Uh, we are back and forth every week, um, two, three, uh, four times, uh, trying to make sure that we're able to spread uh, the ability to communicate to the public. So we're on St. Thomas Radio Station one day, over here the next day, interview with a Totola Radio Station uh, this week. So we, we're just back and forth. Uh, but it's it's a rewarding experience, especially the ability to be able to canvas because you see a lot of stuff that um, the regular person uh, has to experience on, on a regular basis. And uh, they're actually reaching out to us and, and being able to tell us some of those quality of life issues that, that we're facing. And there are vast differences uh, between uh, both islands. 
and there are vast differences between exactly where you're going to canvas. We canvas in Bordeaux. It's a whole different uh, setting to canvassing on the avenue, you know, and, and, and you're able to, to really um, determine as to um, some of the uh, work that we need to do once we're elected because of the situation that we're seeing um, right in front of us. I, I'm, I'm making a note of this question. I got someone making sure she write down all my questions. I'll make sure I ask, you know, similar questions to the, to the um, Brian Roach team when they join us next week, Thursday. Is the St. Croix versus St. Thomas politics real? Uh, very real, very real. Uh, both Ireland um, have a totally um, a different perception in, 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 in terms of what each island is going through. Both islands feel that one is getting more than the next, but uh, we are united and we have a, a very um, strange situation because General Saro is a St. Thomian candidate of a crucian father. <laughs> and Senator Cordvale is a crucian candidate of a St. Thomian father. <laughs> and also, we, we have link uh, on both islands. We have families on both islands. And uh, we, we, we're getting the message out that this team is territorial. This team is, is not one district uh, versus the next. This team is, will be able to address uh, those issues that a particular island have, has. And the issues are different. St. Thomas has a, 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 a more serious issues in terms of housing, apartment, affordability. Um, St. Croix has a, a more serious issue in reference to healthcare, because Snyder is way better off than, than, than GFL, um, the, the school education. Uh, St. Thomas has a corridor right next to the hospital that, that scares me because you have Avlita Kankren, Lockhart, and Charlotte Amali in the same spot, which have mushroomed that to thousands of individuals. If you, if you go there in the afternoon at 3.30 and there's an emergency with an ambulance, it's hard to get through. So there are a lot of uh, different issues that, that, that face each island. And, and but by canvassing and by speaking to individuals and by us being individuals who's always out in the community, we have a good understanding as to what needs to be done. Lieutenant Governor candidate uh, Saro, um, gubernatorial candidate Viale mentioned quality of life um, in his um, foundational um, you know, um, statement here on this show. And everything as it relates to quality of life hinges on the cost of energy and the water power authority. Uh, you, as a member of the 30, that would be 33rd and 34th legislature, um, attempted to move, and, and we were successful in moving legislation to not only address WAPA with the ratepayers, but also with the, with, the, with the PSC. But the question is quality of life. How do we address the WAPA issue so that a true commitment to reducing the cost of everything we consume in the Virgin Islands um, can be reduced? That's simple. We have to, <clears throat> well, it really is simple. I mean, I said that. We have to definitely refinance um, the vital debt. The base rate is a problem. So we could have as much renewables as we want. We could fix the grid. The debt remains the same in WAPA. WAPA is in debt, period, between um, Trafficora, Glencore. These are the companies that are owed, Vital, and then everything else in between that we really have to refinance the base rate. So I, I we're proposing that we go back to the table because I think the Vital um, payments right now is roughly 14% um, interest rate. So we want to refinance that over a longer period of time, maybe 30 years, which will actually reduce, um, well, you'll see the impact through the base rate once we refinance the Vital debt over a 30 year period, um, which will force us to reduce the payments of Vital through the utility company and then hopefully um, the base rate is really contingent upon retail. So you're saying that our our <laughs> bonded indebtedness 
where the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority is concerned is the primary reason why um, we are struggling and the cost of life, the, the quality of life costs so much here in the Virgin Islands? Yes, the base rate is included, but Santa Valley... Yeah, I, I want to try it in a bit. Oh. No, no, but I, come, I, I definitely going to come to you there because the, the reality is if we don't have a proper understanding of our finances and our debt, um, how are we actually going to get out of where we are? And that's a place Correct. in any decade, 60s, 70s, 80s, we happen to be mm -hmm. in, the, in the 20s now. So the question, Senator Viola, to you as a chair of the Finance Committee and, and debt service, which applies not only with WAPA, but of course with our rum cover over, gross receipts, what have you. How are we going to break it down in lay people language so the public can understand why the quality of life is impacted because the cost of energy is so high here in the Virgin Islands? You have two costs that you pay for. One is the base rate and one is the LIAC. The LIAC is the cost of fuel. Mm -hmm. So the concentration has always been that we have to reduce the LIAC, we have to reduce the LIAC, and the cost is going to get better. Unfortunately, over the last five or six years, the base rate has grown to 22 to 24 cents per kilowatt hour. So our base rate is presently higher than the total kilowatt rate in every state and territory. So even if you were supposed to get down the LIAC to... 16 cents like the proposal for the solar. 16 plus 22 or 24 is still 38 or 40%. So yeah. we're still going to be way up there. So you have to be able to reduce the base rate. Now the base rate is, is what is utilized to pay um, the, the cost of payroll, operation, maintenance, insurance, uh, retirement, and debt service. In that base rate is rolled in this $160 million loan. In that base rate, is rolled in the twelve million dollars that we pay in Vital to operate the operate the propane facility. So we have a, a, a lot of cost that is embedded in the base rate. They're operating the facility because the facility hasn't been turned over to the government because we still owe them. So their position is we're the owners of it, we're gonna operate it and this is the cost that we're charging. We have proposed that if we're supposed to get them out, even if you were supposed to hire ten engineers at two hundred thousand dollars per pop you're going to save $10 million after that. Mm -hmm. If you're able to take this five-year note that they have with Vital at 14% interest and bring them to the table and bargain to stretch it out to 30 years at a lower interest rate, then immediately you're knocking maybe 10 cents off of the base rate with those just those two things to bring the base rate down to 12 cents. Let, let me ask this question. Has the VLSRO team calculated what the cost would be to buy out Vital outright? Well, that's what we want to do. I mean, part of that is to be able to finance a deal. And, and my position is if you look at Vital and the other companies... So, so, what, so what's the dollar figure? Um, if, if we were to, to get a lump sum of money and we got to pay Vital to buy them out, what would that big figure number be based on what you've calculated? It could be as high as 160 million. 160 million. Okay. But I, my position is that we need to sit them down and bargain mm -hmm. because every jurisdiction that these companies have worked in have literally been sued or carried to court. And I think we need to say, hey, you know, we don't agree with a $160 million figure. We're ready to pay you out. Mm -hmm. Let's negotiate. Let's bargain. We're going to finance so that we can pay you out all together and get them out so that we can have control and be able to reduce the rate. Now, now I asked that question because that question serves as a precursor to this question. I want to start with Lieutenant Governor Kitorel Kenneth Saro. What is your vision for the Virgin Islands? And how can that vision be realized if, in fact, the quality of life costs so much? Well, 
that's a, that, that's that's a very that's, that's a very va- vague and broad question. That's why um, you analyze this. Yeah, no, I mean, right now, our when we're talking about the economy, is people can't afford people can't afford it. Let's go to the business sector, for example. We could give out all the small business loans that we want to. We could we could push for small business grants, and if if your utility bill is four or five thousand dollars a month then you know you don't you breaking even or you're even making a profit but that's the reason so, why i asked the question yes. um, Governor Sarah, because mm-hmm. economic development um, a- anybody who is investing money into the virgin islands they need to know what the cost of overhead is mm-hmm. and if they if in fact it, it is counterproductive for them because the cost is so great they're not going to invest definitely and so that's one of the that's one of the key points that we want to focus on i envision Definitely, among other a million other things, our energy being one of our top priorities. Because let's look, for example, we're talking about the RT Park and having e-commerce and moving people into the historic district, and you know, economic development, specifically RT Park, the ED, and you're seeing all these e-commerce businesses. But we won't be able to attract them to the territory if the cost of energy remains as it is. So to spur economic development. Um, dealing with WAPA will probably be the first one of the first issues among education and healthcare um, moving forward. Okay, as good. Well. No, Senator Viale, you know we were all members of the thirty first legislature, thirty thirty yeah, second, right? Twenty seventeen. On thirty first. Yeah. Okay. The, the, but the, the hurricanes were in the thirty second. Yeah. Right. That's what we're right. Thirty second. And um, the previous administration, they did a great job, um, along with the delegate. We'll give the delegate credit. She did a good job. Make, making that argument before Congress, and we got the $8 billion. Um, and we're dealing with a protracted recovery that's going to last 10 to 12 years. That's just how it is. What's your take on the recovery? Um, going to our candidate, VLA, number one, uh, and number two, both of you, actually, Lieutenant Governor Saro, Candidate Saro, uh, and, and number two, are we where we should be five years later from the hurricanes and four four years and seven months later from when that appropriation was made for the people of the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. And, and no, no, we're not. But but I wanted to add in that um, in 2017, I think it was two months after the hurricane, uh, Delegate Plaskett was able to set up a number of meetings um, in D.C. Uh, with a delegation of senators uh, from the Virgin Islands and also um, the administration and a number of commissioners, the governor's financial team. Uh, and that is when we made the pitch that um, just... Um, Utilizing the Stafford Act would not be sufficient to rebuild the Virgin Islands and that we needed um, to have the opportunity to be able to rebuild new uh, resilient facilities. And, and that is when the Budget Bipartisan Act was passed. And for the first time we, in, in history, the Virgin Islands is able to rebuild to a different level after a storm. Uh, we received some $8 billion, or, or ability to access $8 billion. And um, we need, now need to send 9.2 because we just got the $1.2 billion for the sewer system um, on St. Croix. Uh, but in terms of, of access to those monies, we are very disappointed in uh, the four, five years after the hurricane. Uh, we still have not started to rebuild a school. Uh, we still don't have um, the, the healthcare system literally has not been, been addressed. Um, infrastructure is an issue. The, the Envision program is, is literally falling apart. And, and, and the scariest thing is that they came before us and they told us that the Housing Finance Authority is now being audited by HUD and, and the U.S. Inspector General. And that one of the, the main concerns is the, the large amount of administrative costs versus monies being utilized for the various projects. I think uh, the, the numbers I saw up to this morning was uh, of the billion dollars that we accessed thus far, 
46% of those monies have gone in administrative costs. Um, 3.1 for for the rental program, being able to to, to fix uh, rental facilities. They spent $3.1 million and fixed two rental homes, and the rest was in administrative costs, some $2.something million. The home program, over $8 million in administrative costs and spent less than $2 million on, on actual repairs. So we, we have an issue in reference to, to how the monies are being administered. Um, HUD has literally said, okay, we, we have an issue with what you guys are doing and you need to clean it up. Um, they, they have set down some recommendations. They're doing some monitoring of the Housing Finance Authority, and we got to get the, the, that component in order uh, because internally we're hearing of all of the issues uh, that, that the Housing Finance Authority um, has internally that is slowing up the, the, the process. So our mindset before quickly was, what, what is really the issue? Is it a federal bureaucracy or is it local? Lieutenant Governor Candidate Saro, the, the, the Lieutenant Governor's office has a primary responsibility for banking and insurance. Statutory, right? But we're also dealing with a recovery. So how are you going to balance those statutory obligations with the role uh, um, of being the commissioner of banking and insurance? I mean, uh, with, with the recovery. Given, given that we're dealing with a recovery. Humans are multifaceted, period. None of us really stay in one lane. Um, what I actually want to do is send legislation to the Senate to separate the Commissioner of Insurance. Of course, the Lieutenant Governor will have oversight over um, insurance, but I want to separate the role and actually have a Commissioner of Insurance within the Office of Lieutenant Governor and Insurance Guru to really focus on the insurance matters facing the territory from the, um, from the perspective of health and property as well. Um, and, and that would free the lieutenant governor up to do a bit more, um, you know, because right now, lieutenant governor is going to all the NAIC conferences, um, National Association of Insurance Commissioners, that's, that's what that means, conferences across the nation, they're heavily involved. And the lieutenant governor, not all lieutenant governors, I am not the insurance expert. So I am smart enough to know that I need to surround myself with wise counsel. No, so, no but, but I believe that the powers that be, they put that in place so that you have work to do as lieutenant governor. Of course. And not, and not just be a ceremonial. No, no, no. And I don't, governor. no, we don't intend to be, I don't intend to be a ceremonial lieutenant governor, but it doesn't preclude me for, as well from making sure that I have the top experts on staff to really have the, that strong insurance component within the office of lieutenant governor. But to go back briefly to what Senator Valley was saying as well, the recovery is a bit, is very truncated. You have, um, right, the role of HFA part of statute is really to focus on home ownership within the territory. But with a disaster, they've really taken on so many additional responsibilities. So you have Vitima in one area doing something else, HFA someplace else, and ODR. So we have this very truncated disaster recovery happening that we're seeing so many projects being stalled or not moved because there is really not a streamlined process um, to later to help with our disaster recovery. We've got um, gubernatorial candidate, Kurt Vialet, lieutenant governor candidate, Janelle Saro joining us, the VLS Saro team number four is here in the house on Candy Speak. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk education because both of these um, Virgin Islanders were educators before they became elected officials. And we'll talk on other issues as well. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.
el sistema de elecciones de las Islas Vírgenes lo está haciendo más fácil para que tú formes parte de nuestro equipo por medio de nuestro programa de voluntarios. Estamos en busca de personas buenas como tú que puedan proveer a cada votante el apoyo que necesitan para que efectivamente puedan participar en el proceso de votación. Puede comenzar recogiendo y completando la aplicación para voluntarios de cualquiera de nuestras oficinas en el territorio. Usted puede servir como monitor. También tienes la opción de convertirte en un facilitador, asegurando que los votantes que están votando por primera vez, los envejecientes y la comunidad de deshabilitados puedan votar con confidencia y acertadamente. Si tienes el tiempo y estás dispuesto a servir, hay un lugar para ti. Solo inscríbete. Si quieres más información, llama al 340-773-1021. Y recuerda, el votar no es solo su derecho, es lo correcto hacer. The VI Energy Office and the University of the Virgin Islands Caribbean Green Technology Center are hosting the first VI Energy Fair. There will be outdoor live demonstrations, interactive workshops, and leaders from the community will be on site to discuss what the territory is doing to reduce energy costs. The fair will be held at the UVI campuses from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on St. Thomas on October 15th and on St. Croix on October 30th. For more information about the Energy Fair, cgtc-usvi.org forward slash energy dash fair. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. And we're back here on the candidate speak here on Analyze This. And we got the VLA Saro team, gubernatorial candidate Kurt VLA, Lieutenant Governor candidate Janelle Saro joining us, number four. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here once again, both of you. L let me ask this question before we get to education. I want to talk a little politics here. What's it like being on offense? Because you're not the incumbent. In other, words, in other words, yes, you have senatorial records that you may have to defend, but what's it like being on offense as opposed to being on defense like you normally are when you're seeking sen a Senate seat? Exciting. <laughs> For real, like, honestly, you, you get an opportunity to really throw the ball and be like, listen, this and this wasn't done. Here's our proposals. And you get the opportunity to really... Um, give a, a vision and a hope for the territory as to what you want to see move forward. And people are looking for change. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really, um, th there are bad parts of the campaign, you know, the, the personal attacks, but it's really been an exciting process to talk and tell people this is what our plans are and to listen to the administration really try to defend that. So. Uh, and this administration have given us the opportunity to say, we passed that. You failed to implement it. You know, the, the WAPA board uh, bill that, that, that we passed, the restructure the board, board is subject here. Experts, the same thing for the hospital. And then you hear the cry after, after what, where, where the board isn't doing this or that. Well, we passed it. You know, you failed to implement it. The first time home buyers program, we passed that months ago. You just haven't implemented it. So a, a lot of that is, is the offense that we're using and we're saying that 
uh, once we are elected, we're going to implement the legislation that we pass. So, so, let, so let me so let me be devil's advocate now um, and take a, a defensive posture, given that both of you have served four and three terms respectively. Being governor and lieutenant governor is not an easy job. It, and it's, it's not supposed to be. But but it's definitely a job where you can make progress. It's definitely a job where you can make incremental progress every day, every every single month. Uh, and some of the, the areas that we see uh, affect the Virgin Islands, it, it doesn't take a lot to change. Because we have been able to get change from the Senate floor in terms of, of just directing mandates or asking individuals as to what you need to make this department efficient, the direction we're going to move in. Uh, we, we have done it from the Senate floor. So to me, it's so much easier if you're the, the, the executive branch. Now, now, one of the things that I try my best not to be on this particular medium, this show, is not be hypocritical. I believe the administration did a very good to excellent job managing the pandemic. What is your take? Start with you, Senator uh, Saro, and then Senator Vialli. Yes, they did a good job. And we, we publicly admitted that as, as leaders, you don't have to sit and bash everything that somebody else does. If a good job was done, we're confident enough in admitting that a good job was done dealing with the pandemic. But there's more to the Virgin Islands than a pandemic. But we do admit that a good job was done to the pandemic. But let's look at health, for example. We lauded health for and the administration for what they did with the pandemic, but the statutory responsibilities of, of the Department of Health go far beyond a pandemic. You have substance abuse, you have um, the, the, the mental health portion of, um, mm -hmm. of our Department of Health. We, we have so many other areas in the Department of Health that we have um, dropped the ball on, but they have done a good job. Um, insofar as the pandemic is concerned. What's your take, Senator Vialli? Because you have chaired the health committee. Mm -hmm. so yes. Somebody hooked you up with that chairmanship in your first term as a, as a senator. Uh, what's your take on how the administration handled the pandemic, which was the, the actually the, the middle two years of their four-year term? Correct. And they, they, they did a, a pretty good job with the pandemic. Um, one or two mistakes were made that I would have done different. Uh, the, the one I was very really disappointed with was the... Um, Bethlehem project where they made that uh, overflow facility and our position was that we wanted them to use a different building so that after the pandemic all of those resources would have referred to the Virgin Islands like what was done in Snyder. Snyder actually converted the, the entire fourth floor some 30 something bed and now it belongs to Snyder Hospital so they have the extra capacity and if we had done that we could have made that a facility for mental health or homelessness we could have had all the resources there but the ports were kept open and um, that was a good thing. And we had a lot of, of pandemic travelers be because of the monies that were circulating in the economy. Um, COVID was a bad thing, but COVID also had a lot of positive because the Virgin Islands received almost a billion dollars in funding. No point in telling uh, when you say positive, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> As a result, uh, we received like $200 million in education right now that we could utilize um, for additional staff, um, for maintenance issues, um, for learning loss. So the, 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 the money portion of it was, was a tremendous um, um, boom to the Virgin Islands. Um, the, the food stamp program was expanded. Individuals were receiving stimulus checks, checks at $1,400. So when we look at it from the, um, as chair of the finance committee, you know, in one year, we had like an infusion of over $40 million in monies that were given to individuals that we saw the effects of that with, with gross, more gross receipts um, being paid, more excise tax being paid. So there were some positives with the monies, uh, but um, my condolences to all the individuals that we lost. Thank God we didn't um, lose a lot more. And, and my heart goes out to those families. Education. Let's, let's pivot to education. Both of you are educators. Where are we infrastructurally and curriculum-wise? Infrastructure, not, 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 not good. Uh, we had, and, and I'm disappointed because we had a year 
of the students not being in school on a year where we could have really addressed a lot of the major maintenance issues and we were not able to address those issues and then we had a, a, a next year literally okay, we two years of, of virtual uh, and this year when school reopened we had a lot of issues with water and electricity issues that they were trying to address at the last minute uh, the former commissioner we had a long discussion with her about uh, the learning loss that, that these students are going to um, have be, be faced with as a result of being virtual uh, for two years we asked them to to develop a plan as to how they were going to deal with the learning loss we asked them uh, to be able to conduct a mental survey of the students to see where 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 they're at and see what we need to design in terms of providing services for the school and, and none of that was done and we started back the school year and uh, we stick into this Common Core curriculum which literally states that we're just teaching it every single week and moving whether or not you you understand it so our position is we're going to revisit uh, that whole curriculum component uh, the, the first um, week that we're in. Uh, we're going to administer some type of assessment to our students to determine whether or not they're on grade level and then prepare an individual educational plan for each of those students to be able to meet the deficiencies that they're meeting for that particular grade level. Lieutenant Governor Kanye-Saro, infrastructurally, where are we with respect to education in your estimation? Very, very poor. Um, th that's one of the things we... So when we look at... We, we knew that we were at a, at a critical point. That's why in the 32nd, the 32nd, we moved, actually the 33rd, we moved to 5 million. We reprogrammed 5 million from the PFA to address the structural issues to date. I think education has spent $100,000 of that 5 million that we've given them to make specific repairs that they requested um, to be made. And they've asked that we hold off and they wanted to change the, um, the, 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 reprogram the monies. We program the monies again for different projects and we have yet to see what they want to do with it. We also, um, we're looking at our EDC companies as well. We have our bill, but it's, we're, we're toying with it. Um, right now, education receives some 35% from the EDA um, to their, to, to education. And we, we're, what we're toying, we had two ideas. One was actually 1% of the net, um, what they would have saved in the, in the, um, with their tax incentives, 1% of that will go to what a fund for education maintenance, but we got some pushback with that. So we're looking at with that 35%, maybe allocating 20% of that to the education fund to have a constant stream for maintenance and education. But as an athlete as well, being a, a, an alumni of Shata Malia High School, it is painful not watching the school, watching the school not have a field nor a gym. Our athletic program is completely shattered. So... Beside athletics, the arts, everything else, yes, just sir. going into the schools, this is not the correct term um, to use because they look like concentration camps. And and I use that word politically. I, I use it loosely, but you can't want students to, to succeed when the aesthetics, you know, it, what, what message do we send? You like walk into Claudio Marco, you walk into the cafeteria at Claudio Marco and schools across the territory they are in deplorable conditions from maintenance to just basic upkeep over this. And that was one of the issues that we had during the pandemic as well. So, so you're not satisfied infrastructurally where we are, where education is concerned? No, and we had two years during the pandemic as well. While students were home sitting, that should have been the time that we used to fix our schools. We, we've got uh, one of the conversations good. Um, the time flies. we got two minutes. I'm going to allow both of you, one minute each, to make an argument on behalf of your candidacy. Lieutenant Governor Candidate Janelle Saro, I recognize you for a minute. 
Thank you, Mr. Chair, for the time. <laughs> um, you know, thank you for having us here today, and thank you for allowing us to actually communicate with the people of this territory. We are the most qualified team. Um, of course, we have a good mix. I have someone a little older and someone a little younger, so we, we're bridging a gap um, across generations as well. And I envision a territory where people could drop their students to a world-class school um, feel safe in their homes. Athletes have a place to train. You could drive on a road where you just get your tax check and you don't have to use your tax check to, fi to fix the front end of your car. Look, you know, improving the quality of life, the, you know, food security in the territory. And these are the things that we have. We have a motto, United in Pride and Hope. And that's what we hope to achieve moving forward in this territory, a greater quality of life. So I'm asking everyone to come out to vote, to, to cast your vote for the most qualified time team, the VLA Saro team. We are ready, ready, ready filled with purpose and we're ready for forward movement number four on your ballot VLA Saro thank you gubernatorial candidate Senator Kurt VLA you recognize for a minute thank you so much and thank you for inviting us uh, that is the reason why we're running it, it really just boils down to, to quality of life issues and it boils down to uh, what we're doing in education and, and healthcare and, and infrastructure uh, I heard about two years ago at the National Council of State Legislators um, where they literally said that the amount of monies that have been infused into the state and territories as a result of COVID is a life-changing moment where you're able to reshape the community that you live in. There is no way that we can have $9.2 billion, access to $9.2 billion and the Virgin Islands look the same. It's just not supposed to happen. And I ask you to go back three years and 10 months ago and tell me what has really changed in the Virgin Islands in, in, in terms of the aesthetics, in terms of education, in terms of healthcare, in, in terms of uh, infrastructure. And St. Thomas, one thing, the, the Veterans Drive Project, and that's called Vale and Nelly O'Reilly from the 31st Legislature, <laughs> Garvey Bands. What has really changed? Literally nothing. I asked those that are supporting um, the administration to name one revenue-generating measure that has been passed by this um, administration that has brought additional monies into the coffers. They say excise tax. Excise tax were under us. We made the hard decision when everybody was protesting and saying no. It is the same excise tax that we're now able to give $40 million um, to the government employee retirement system to be able to float bonds to save the system. The results of what you're seeing is the work of the legislature, the hard decisions we made in the finance committee, the hard decisions we made with, with, with bills. So I'm asking the people of the Virgin Islands to vote for Vela Saro. Uh, we have proven accomplishment. We understand the issues facing the Virgin Islands, and we want to move the Virgin Islands forward. Vote number four, Vela Saro. Thank you very much to both of you. We wish you success uh, throughout the campaign. We wish everybody success. And at the end of the day, we want for all of us to live here in the Virgin Islands post the 2022 election cycle, which is hot and heavy. Thank you very much to the VLSRO team for joining us here and the candidate speak this morning that we incorporate here in to analyze this. So, uh, you know, my, my good friends, some sibling been joining me here. So I'm going to let you get back in the chair. Uh, thanks a lot to both of you and uh, good success. I think I've got, I've got an event tonight. <laughs> I, I got a debate that's going to be on Channel 12 tonight. So uh, uh, we, I'm sure the public is looking forward uh, to hearing, uh, to seeing that, because um, that's going to be uh, highly uh, anticipated. Uh, Summer, what's your take on, on, on the, 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 the presentation by the number four team, the VLSRO team? Um, I was happy to be a fly on the wall. Um, you know, 
And I think it was a good interview. I think I heard things that I didn't hear before. The number is now 9.2 billion, Nine, not eight. Yeah. So they've included that 1.2 that the um, waste management got for, and apparently there's another 1.2 or thereabouts for St. Thomas and St. John as well, because they're doing the whole wastewater treatment thing. So that's going to take us over 10 billion when it's all said and done, which is good. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, to the listening audience, I always say like, you have to boil this down to what are your values? What are your priorities? What are your experiences and what you are looking for? You know, Neville and I are not here to tell you who to vote for and all that stuff. But as you listened, critically ask yourself what you heard because that's what I was doing in the back seat. I was, I had the opportunity to have, you know, to participate silently and really listen and listen for the things. I'm listening to every candidate, whether you're gubernatorial or senatorial. Or to boards. See, or, or boards yeah. to see how you align with with my views, my values, or what I see as the future for the territory. So I mean, I think it was a good interview. Um, I can't wait. We how much more? How much more? The big dogs we got. <laughs> we did two. We do three. Three. One more. The, one the, more. The, the defending champs. They get to come here next week Thursday, hopefully, and uh, uh, and, and we can knock that out. And I, you know, one of the things that I, my biggest focus when we're interviewing. Uh, candidates is that we be fair to them, yes, right, and that absolutely. we don't put them on the spot, and and not be afraid to ask them the tough questions uh, and the questions that we would ask of other candidates as well. You know what I'm saying? So not no no softballs uh, and all that stuff. I think the most important question that that we ask all of our candidates is why are you running? Yeah. Um, intent and motivation it, it's actually two and what qualifies you yeah because i could be a really i could really summer could be a really well-intended person and not understand the things that you talked about earlier That's which right. is the structure of our governance and how it feeds each other um and the role of private sector civic sector like all of this like the, the actual job itself and i could mean really well so it's really two important questions right. why are you doing it and what qualifies yeah. you for, to for, do for, it for me no what qualifies you for me to consider you as a legitimate elected official that consent to govern yeah <laughs> you like that one eh? but <laughs> uh zoloff grid is her name she is a congresswoman from california and we coined that phrase from her given the consent of the governed which is the people you know uh thank you very much um senator Dwayne the graph our number one of course thank you so much simply wrong uh, for being my co-host there. And of course, thank you to the uh, VLS, our team, for joining us in our number two great interview. Thank you very much, Zoe Zimmet, for holding things down on the board this morning. And uh, thank you very much to the audience. Uh, great support system as well. Be good, be safe, be back tomorrow. Candidate Devin Carrington on the St. Croix side and Senator Marvin Bladen on the St. Thomas side. expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Throughline is always looking for a new spin on historical events we think we understand. And we're so excited and proud that our series on Afghanistan won a Peabody Award. The history of Afghanistan has too often been told by those who tried and failed to control it from outside. We wanted to bring you this history from the voices of Afghans themselves. Listen to Throughline from NPR every week, Saturdays at 7 a.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. What does the 50th anniversary of Title IX mean? It means I'm valued. I'm empowered. I can do anything. It means I'll pave the way for every girl who plays high school sports in the future. Just like every female student, coach, official, and administrator blazed the trail for me. 
because every student deserves the opportunity to play. Encourage girls you know to participate in high school sports. This message presented by the NFHS and the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association.